What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Oasis Podcast. If you're in the Knoxville, Tennessee area, we'd love to meet you face-to-face on a Wednesday night at our main Park West campus. Make sure to check us out on social media at Oasis PWC to stay up to date on everything going on here so that you can get plugged in and join the Oasis family. I hope that you enjoy this week's message. Let's jump in. So if it is your first time here, welcome home. Take a deep breath. Whether you've been here for months or this is your first time, you're my favorite person in the room. We are going to be in Hebrews chapter 6 tonight. And while you turn there, I want to kind of give you... um, some direction for where we're going this semester. A couple weeks ago, God put the word hope on my heart and on the heart of the leadership team here for Oasis. And God has been saying over and over and over and over that in the midst of the craziness that we're all living in, and I don't have to go into detail because we're all living in it and you all say, amen, I know what you're talking about. In the midst of the craziness that we're living in, what we need right now more than anything is hope. What we need right now is to believe that COVID is going to end at some point, that some of the racial divide is going to heal at some point, that God is moving in the midst of this, that the hurt and the junk and the mess that we are going through, that there is a hope that we have in Jesus, the one that can change everything, fix everything. The gospel is transformative. It is the power of life, literally. So this semester, we are on a mission to bring hope. With all that being said, Hebrews chapter 6, I'm going to read verse 19, I'm going to give you the title for tonight, and uh, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to see where we end up after that. Deal? Oh, you're going to have to give me more feedback than that. Deal? (laughs) Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 says, we have this hope, everybody say hope. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. The title for tonight's message is Behind the Scenes. Everybody say, Behind the Scenes. Turn to your neighbor like you mean it and tell him, Behind the Scenes. (laughs) Will you pray with me? God, thank you for who you are. Truly thank you that we get to be in your presence tonight. God, I ask that you would move in a way that only you can move, that you would speak to us. God, that your word would go forth tonight, that it would transform our lives. Lord, we want to leave here having a real encounter with the real Jesus. So Holy Spirit, have your way in this room that we would not leave here the way that we came in and that we would leave with five extra friends in the name of Jesus. And everybody said... Amen. So we're going to be in Hebrews for a lot of the message. I want to swing back a couple books to uh, the Gospel of Luke real quick. And as you go there, a little bit of context. We're going to read a story about a centurion soldier's servant. That's kind of the heading you're going to find in your Bible when you get there. We're going to go to Luke chapter 7. And while you turn there, um, this week I was doing some research and getting things together, and I've kind of like vowed as a pastor, like one of the things that kind of drives me crazy when pastors preach is when they try to tell jokes. But then this week, uh, I was going through and studying, and I had a couple really bad dad jokes. So as you're turning to Luke chapter 7, here you go. Where does the general keep his armies? Where does the general keep his armies? in his sleeveies. <laughs> You're welcome. One more for good measure. How does a squid go into battle? How does a squid go into battle? Well armed. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just sorry. Luke chapter 7. I'm going to read. I'm going to start in verse 1 and we're going to read through the story and then we're going to jump in and see what God is saying to us tonight. Starting in verse 1. 
It says, when Jesus finished saying all these things to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. Well, he was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell this one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. So here's the context of what's happening. Rome has come in and taken over and you've got the Jewish people underneath them. The centurion soldiers, Pastor Jeremy, our senior pastor, preached on this a little bit Sunday morning. Centurion soldiers had been in the military for Rome so long, that I mean 20, 30 plus years, that they were given 100 people, a century of people underneath them. So this was somebody that had been doing this a hot minute that was well grounded and founded in the Roman culture. Now, what makes this story kind of interesting is that means he probably wasn't super into Jewish culture. He's simply there because his job is to oversee what's happening. So the story kind of gets off to a weird start. Not only does he have a servant that he cares enough about to look for a cure for his illness, he sends elders from the Jewish synagogue to go to Jesus on his behalf. So he's heard about this Jesus guy. And for whatever reason, he has a pretty decent relationship with the Jews that are there present. So this guy is an oddball to begin with, but he has humbled himself in multiple different situations and he sends his elders of the Jewish church to go and talk to Jesus. So Jesus is like, well, okay, if you speak so highly of him, I think it's verse four and five that the Jewish elders get there and they say, look, this guy deserves for you to come heal his servant. He loves our nation. He even helped us build our synagogue, the church that they had back then. So Jesus says, okay, well, let's go do it. So they start the walk. And again, you didn't get in a cab back then. You didn't call an Uber. You had to walk. So it doesn't give us specifics for how long they walk, how far they walk, but they just start the journey towards the house. And while they're on the way there, the centurion soldier must hear that Jesus is actually on his way to the house. So he sends a group of his friends to stop him on the way. And he says the most peculiar thing. I don't even think I'm worthy for you to come to my house. Again, this is a man of high esteem in Roman military. I don't even think I'm worthy for you to come to my house. That's why I didn't even get there. I didn't come to you. I didn't want to talk to you face to face. But I believe that if you simply speak, my servant will be healed. And he starts to talk to him about military hierarchy. He was like, I have all these guys underneath me. And when I say to do something, they do it because I'm in charge and I have so much faith. This guy has so much faith that if Jesus simply speaks to the situation without ever meeting his servant, without ever being in the same room with him, if I can simply get Jesus to speak the words, my servant will be healed. In the ESV version, at the end of this story, it says that Jesus marveled. He was so astounded and amazed at the level of faith that this man had. That he says, not even in Israel, not even in basically the capital of Jewish faith, 
have I found such faith as this guy, (laughs) that guy over there. He has this wild, radical faith. So sure enough, they go back to the house and they find that the man has been healed. I'm I'm astounded along with Jesus at the weight of the faith that this guy has. He doesn't have a whole lot of past experience with Jesus, but he just believes. If you speak it, it'll happen. And I'm going to put all my eggs in the basket of the words of this guy to heal my servant. Tonight, I want that kind of faith. Tonight, I want that kind of faith. I want that kind of hope that I can believe that if Jesus simply speaks... Everything can change. And you know what's incredible to me about the story? It's not just powerful what's in the story. The most spectacular thing to me is what's not in the story. We have no idea what it was like for the dude that got healed in the moment. I I like to picture it that he's like in an upper room of his master's house and it's a bougie place. Like this, this house is decked out and because he's sick, he let him go up to the special penthouse room and he's all dolled up in the bed, just laying there sick as a dog. And he's preparing mentally to die. The Bible doesn't specify whether or not he even knows that his master sent these people to talk to this random guy. So he's probably come to terms with the fact that he's about to die and in a split second, poof, What did he just start feeling better? All we know is that when they go back, they find out that he's completely healthy. And somebody that was about to literally die had their entire life completely transformed because somebody else had faith in the words of Jesus. Somebody else had enough faith and enough hope in what God could do if God spoke, if Jesus spoke. Faith is such a wild thing. The centurion soldier's faith was so strong that not only did he believe enough for himself, but he believed enough for his servant as well. Do we have faith like that? Do we have faith? I mean, honestly, can we kind of take an introspective moment? Do we have faith like that? If I'm being honest, I work in full-time ministry and there's sometimes that my faith isn't at that level that I wish it would be. There's sometimes that I feel like I'm having conversations with people that are going through really terrible things and my brain is more focused on how I can help them just by being there and loving them than the reality that if Jesus speaks, it could all change in one moment. How do we as a group, how do we as a culture get to a place where we put all of our stock in the words of Jesus? That in one moment, In one second, with one sentence, everything can change. This week, Livy was telling me the story of when she was younger. And uh, I think her mom is still in the room too, so she'll get a kick out of this. But um, when Livy was younger, anytime her mom said anything that could remotely be taken as a promise, Livy heard it as a promise. So if her mom said something like, hey, this Friday night, we're going to go to Nan and Bobo's, the grandparents, we're going to go to Nan and Bobo's for dinner. If anything happened and they ended up not going, Livy's little mind was like, mom lied to me and lying is bad and we don't do that. (laughs) If a friend was going to come over next weekend and plans changed, a storm hit, anything happened, we're going to go to O'Charlie's on Sunday, but then you get there and the place is closed for some reason, you end up going to a different, but for Livy's little mind at that age, You just hear it like, mom lied to me. You see, our human nature is subject to the flexibility of schedules. 
Somebody gets sick, you don't want to hang out with them. <laughs> you just don't. Life changes. Sometimes you get hit with extra homework and you just have to cry about it and deal with it and you don't get to go hang out with the friends that you wanted to. Things have to be dealt with with grace and flexibility and we're just, we're subject to that. But you know who's not? God. So Livy's young mind had to deal with the, the turmoil and the inner tension of, but you said this was gonna happen and it didn't happen. <laughs> but God doesn't operate like that. What God speaks, you can bank on it. Regardless of how massive or how minute it might seem, God is not a man that he should lie. So when God speaks, you can put your stock in it because it's gonna come to pass. Now, back to our main passage of scripture in Hebrews. The context of what's happening here in the book of Hebrews is you had a group of Jewish people that converted to follow Jesus. So throughout history in the Old Testament, you will see these prophetic words pop up all over the place, pointing towards this Messiah, this new king of Jerusalem that was gonna come in and take over and redeem and save the Jewish culture, save the Israelites, right? God promised to Abraham that he'd have as many children as the stars in the sky, and that starts happening. And years and years and years later, the promise starts to be fulfilled more and more and more until there's this nation that is God's people. And as these prophetic words come out that one day there's a Messiah that's gonna show up and change everything, as you can imagine, they have these preconceived ideas of what that's gonna look like when this Messiah shows up. Well, then Jesus shows up and he's just all about serving. And if you've spent all these years thinking about this guy that's going to show up with a big crown and big muscles and a massive sword and take over and save everything, and then Jesus shows up. Now, don't get, don't get this confused. I'm not saying that Jesus is soft, but he showed up to serve. And the Jewish culture didn't know what to do with that. So you had some people that didn't think that Jesus was the Messiah, but then you had this group that did, that put all the puzzle pieces together. What's happening in the book of Hebrews is the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of people that they received Jesus as that coming Messiah. And what started to happen is these people, after some time has gone by, they've fallen back on what they signed up for. The faith in the grace of Jesus, the, the faith that Jesus died and was risen from the grave and that that changes everything and that was the fulfillment of the law. All of those things over time, they start falling backwards into the lives that they were living, the legalism and the religion and the junk that they were living in before Jesus had shown up. So the Apostle Paul writes this letter to them and I wanna start in chapter five so you can hear how intense this is. Chapter five, verse 11. He says, we have so much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. <laughs> so the way that this would have worked is he would have written this and it sent the, the mail comes through, right? And the mail gets there and they open it and they read it and there's just this big crowd. And I wish I could have been there to just watch the awkwardness as everybody's reading that and like, God, mm. he says, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use, everybody say constant, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. If I can be honest, 
I think our society as a whole could use this passage right now. Could use this passage right now. You know better than to act and talk like that. You started so good. We were going the right direction. You're doing good. He straight tells these people, by now you ought to be teaching, but I'm having to go back and remind you of the elementary things because you let yourself go backwards. And he goes as far as to say that in order for you to even be able to distinguish between good and evil, you have to be constant in the food that you partake of. You have to be constant in your relationship with God in order to be aware of what even right and wrong is. And by this stage of life, you've probably figured that out on your own. That when you get away from this, when you get away from the community of believers, you start waking up and realizing that you're currently making decisions and doing things that you probably wouldn't have a year ago. And I realize that I'm not speaking to everybody in the room, but for those of us that grew up in church, that grew up about this, that know right from wrong, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's so easy to get lost in the moment of what's happening. Ooh, let me speak to my college freshman in the room for a minute. You're about to find this out the hard way. And I don't mean this like with pessimism and I'm gonna speak life over you. I don't mean to speak death, but you're about to learn through experience what this looks like. Two months into me being a college and young adult pastor, I took a young man to get coffee And he said, man, you have no idea how important it is for us to have a college ministry like this because everybody that I grew up playing football with is now making decisions that I don't agree with. And I have to choose between being lonely or lessening my morals. And that was one of the most profound things. I mean, this kid's a sophomore in high school and he dropped this bomb on me sitting in an empty cup coffee shop off Cedar Bluff and I had to kind of pause and take a second. And I kid you not, I told him, I said, the problem is you need better friends. The problem is you need better friends. People that will encourage you to get in this word. You need this moment. Not just for us, not just for the, for you. For you. So that when those moments come up and you have to choose, you can tell which one you're choosing. Because if you don't, If you're not in the word, if you're not hearing clearly, it's indistinguishable. Don't go backwards. We need as a group to commit to, (laughs) to put it in in the terms of this, we need to commit to eating food (laughs) and not just drinking milk. In other words, don't drink the (laughs) Kool-Aid. Like, Don't get caught up in what's happening around you. Be intentional to watch what you're eating and to pay attention. Well, like a good leader, the apostle Paul, uh, he doesn't just like reprimand them and beat them over the back of the head. He transitions in chapter six and verse 11. He says, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. This message that he gives to, the, to the, the people is, you started off so good. You started off so strong. And I know that this letter seems intense. I know that I'm kind of spanking you a little bit, but it's for your own good. Because if you catch it right now, if you persevere, if you stay intentional, if you stay constant, you can inherit what was promised and not get caught up in the moment. Church, 2020 has been a roller coaster. Anybody give me an amen on that one? 
2020 has been a roller coaster. For those of you that have been plugged in with Oasis for a while, we took about 30 of us to the mountains in January. And we did a weekend retreat that we called um, Family Vacation. And it was one of the best little retreats that I have ever been on. And you best believe we're gonna have another one in 2021. So just stay tuned. But on this retreat, we had so many pivotal, powerful moments. And we were one of churches like many churches that went into 2020 going, my God, this is gonna be a big year. Going in with 2020 vision and things are gonna be crazy. We're gonna change the world and everything's gonna be great. And then March came along and punched us all in the nose. But can I speak to the church for a minute? We started so strong. 2020 started so strong. And I know that this has been ridiculous and it's been all over the place, but COVID's gonna be gone before we know it. And the junk and the trash that we are dealing with every day, it's gonna be gone before we know it. So can we get a group of people that can stay consistent in the moment? Because I don't wanna get to 2021 and find that my barometer for good and evil is gone and I'm way over here somewhere completely outside of the presence of God. So I want us to be a group that eats meat, that is so in this. I wanna be a group that eats bacon. I wanna be that group that's intentional with what we feed ourselves. I know it's silly, but I wanna be a group that's intentional with what we do. Why? Why? Because I know that there's some of us in the room that are going, yeah, Caleb, that sounds great, but I still kinda wanna burn the whole place to the ground because this year has been awful. Understand that I'm living in the world with you, but this is why it's so important that we don't lose hope and that we stand strong because God is moving behind the scenes in ways that you don't see. Amen. Hebrews continues on. Hebrews chapter six, verses 13 through 20. And Paul start, the apostle Paul starts talking about the promise that God gave Abraham. And what happened was he comes to him and he says, we're it, this is it, bro. <laughs> this is definitely the Caleb translation. He says, this is it. You're gonna have as many children as the stars in the sky. They're gonna serve me and I'm gonna be their God. And then we watch the Israelite nation just be birthed over a couple thousand years. There is this promise that God gives to Abraham. So the apostle Paul in verse 13 of that chapter starts talking about this promise. And he says, you know, when people promise, they swear to someone greater than them, right? I swear on so-and-so that this is the truth and I'm gonna do it. But the apostle Paul says, there's nobody greater than God. So he doesn't have anybody to swear to, but he gives an oath. He gives an oath, he gives a promise that I'm going to fulfill this promise that I've given you. And the apostle Paul says it's for two reasons. One is because God can't lie. So when God speaks it, it's gonna come to pass. And a few thousand years later, we are currently inherited into the children of God. We are adopted into the Israelite family because of what Jesus did. Abraham could not have possibly imagined in the slightest what life was gonna look like a few thousand years later. But what God promised him then is still coming to pass with every salvation, every life change, it's still coming to pass. After the apostle Paul talks about how God cannot lie, and the, the importance of standing that. He says, one, God cannot lie. Two, it gives you something to cling to. When God promised to Abraham and Abraham's processing and he's doing his deductive reasoning, he's like, okay, God said this. 
And I know this is not really happening, but God said it, and God can't lie, so it's still going to happen, right? <laughs> and he's like giving himself a pep talk in my head. That's what has to be happening, because that's what I have to do. God said that this was going to happen. I know it hasn't happened yet, but it's in here. And if it's in here, it has to happen, because he said it. So I'm going to stand on it. I'm going to remind myself. If God doesn't lie, you and I have a hope. We have hope to cling to. Verse 19 says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. See, Abraham had no idea what was gonna happen a couple thousand years later. Very similar to the centurion servant has no idea what's happening in the moment. He's just watching it happen. This guy is laying on his deathbed. And his master sends somebody else to go speak to Jesus. And you know what the two stories have in common? They both have put their hope and their faith and all of their eggs in the basket of the power of God's word. That when Jesus speaks, we believe things can change. When God made an oath to Abraham, we believed it would be fulfilled. I know that 2020 has been crazy, but you have hope. You have hope because Jeremiah says that I know the plans that I have for you to bless and prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. John chapter 10 says that though the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, I came that you would have life and have it more abundantly. The 23rd Psalm says that even in the presence of your enemy, I'm going to prepare a table before you so you can dine with me and relax because I'm fighting the battle for you. 23rd Psalm says that you don't lack anything. That the good shepherd has got it all under control. We have hope that a lot of the world doesn't have. And I know that 2020 has been crazy, but we are on a mission to bring hope to our, our Park West family down the hall, to everybody in Oasis to our city, to our schools, to our workplaces. We are on a mission and an assignment to bring hope. So will you stand with me across the room? I wanna encourage you tonight. You are anchored in the midst of the storms and the craziness. We put all our stock in this word. This too shall pass. And in a few months, all of this is going to be gone. So let's guard ourselves to not ruin our witness in the process or to slip out of line in the process because this is going to be over before we know it. I want to leave you with this one thought before I pray. Right now, with the weight of everything that is going on, the heartache, the struggle, the bondage, the whatever, over the last two or three weeks, I have come to one abundant conclusion about what God would have me do and how God would have us act over the next couple months. And it's this one statement. The world does not need any more opinions. It needs hope. The world does not need any more opinions. It needs hope. And in case you didn't know, you have that hope both for your own heart to cling in the midst of the heartbreak and the hang up and the junk that you're going to get through this because Jesus has got you. Both for your sake and for the sake of the world around you, let's stand with hope. Be encouraged tonight. Leave here in a couple minutes excited and uplifted because you have hope.
This is going to be fine. God's got it. Amen? Will you pray with me? God, thank you for the hope that we have.